0: Hey, so uh, thanks again for tuning in to Refuge Online and uh, worshiping with us today. Uh, Today's text in Genesis reminds, uh, reminds me and takes me back to my college days which is always a nervous thing whenever I start talking about those kind of days. That's where big fun was born, and so there was lots of stories around him. But it reminded me of kind of being in college, and you were kind of out with some of your buddies, and 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 some of your buddies might have overindulged themselves too much, and and just the shenanigans that went on around uh, those kind of scenarios, uh, whether it was painting faces or taking pictures, or you know, of uh, you lying beside somebody and taking a funny picture around a friend. That was kind of what this text a little bit reminds me of today. And so many of you might be saying, preacher, should you even be talking about these kind of things? Should you even be referencing things like that that you did in college? Well, honestly, it's really about what our text is about today. And and so we'll get to that as we jump into uh, today's text. So I would encourage you to open your Bibles to Genesis chapter 9. We'll pick up in verse 18 uh, in today's lesson, but I want to kind of recap to kind of ramp us into where we are today. So from last week, we learned that As Noah and his family came off the ark, God made provisions for them. And and so Noah built an altar to worship God and and thank him for sparing his family. And and this really was an outward expression from Noah to say, hey, thank you, God, for rescuing me and rescuing my family. And he was really crediting all of his life to God and saying, I recognize that you didn't have to spare me and my family, but you chose to do that from this worldwide flood. And and, and so in that, uh, after they came off the ark, and, and and uh did this uh, as sacrifice to God God gave them freedom to Eat from any animal that was there on the face of the earth. He said, "You are free to eat any of these animals. Just don't eat the blood that is in the animal. don't don't eat, Don't eat the blood that's in them. But you're free to eat any of these animals. and And he said honestly, warn Noah that, that it's really not up to us to shed any uh, blood of mankind. You can shed the blood of an animal, but don't shed the blood of mankind. Uh, and And so, if so, that the blood of man who sheds another man's blood would be required of him in return. and and, he, and and what he was doing was he was affirming that God, that the man's a life was really precious to God, and that he needed to that man needed to respect other man's life. And so he said, "Don't shed the the blood of men." And then God told, told Noah and those who survived, he was like, "No, no, 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 get jiggy with it." He was like, "Get get busy and multiply and 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 fill the earth." And so so this is your job to to fill the earth and. And then lastly, God established a covenant with Noah that he would never destroy the earth by flood again. And He, the scripture says that he puts my bow, God said, I'm putting my bow into the sky as a reminder of this, that, that, that we'll see, that, that we even still see this today, a rainbow in the sky as a reminder that God made a covenant with Noah way back when. And, and if you remember from last week, we said this covenant was universal, that it was for all mankind. He, he promised this, no matter if you're part of the house Household of faith, or you're outside the household of faith that this is a promise that covers you, that it was unilateral. It was one that God was the one that was making the promise, and God is the one who would keep the promise, and that it was unconditional. It was not upon man to do something, and then God would do his part, though no, it was an unconditional promise that God said, This is what I'm going to do. And if this was the end of an epic movie, this is the way I kind of see it in my mind: is that Noah would be standing there with his family, and they would probably kind of be silhouetted out and they would all be arm in arm, and there would be a big rainbow in the sky, and the music would be would be just building and building and building, and there would be singers in the background hitting these high notes. I mean, Zach Thomas would have trouble hitting these high notes even that they would hit in this movie scene that I have in my mind. It'd be like, ah! And that's, what, that's the way I see this whole thing playing out with Noah and his family and the rainbow in the back, and, and because this was quite the day. It was a huge day in the day of Noah. I mean, he had just received this never-to-be-broken promise from God and Noah, Because Noah demonstrated, he was like, man, I'm gonna follow you, I'm gonna follow you, and I'm gonna do what it is that you tell me to do. I mean, the scripture talks about this. Uh, we, talk, we saw this last week in Hebrews 11:7. seven. It says this, by faith, Noah became an heir to the righteousness that comes by faith. And so uh, the scripture tells us that Noah was a righteous man because of the faith that he had. And, and even Genesis records that uh, Noah was this, he was blameless in his generation and that he walked with God and, and so this is a These are. Descriptors of Noah that we would all want said about us, and I mean, it seems like Noah had been faithful following God. I mean, he was a in a one hundred year contractor project in building the ark, right? I mean, that's a long time to be in the middle of some type of project, hundred years, and he he had the first ever private zoo on his boat. I mean, there, there were that, that, that's all that's all he had. I mean, you had you had a you had a specific invitation to be able to even get in to see those animals, and and then there was the multi-family. Of his of his kids and and their wives, and they were on this great voyage. And then after the flood subsided, they were literally the only people that were left on the earth. And so you think in the middle of that epic ending, in the middle of there, there, and Zach Thomas singing in the background, the rainbow, what could be better than that? I mean, what? (laughs) could be better. Well, let, let's see, and let's dive into today's text and, and see what actually happens. Look with me in verse 18. This is what the text says. Uh, the sons of Noah who went forth from the ark were Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Ham was the father of Canaan. Uh, these three sons were the sons of Noah, and from these peoples, uh, from these, the people of the whole earth were dispersed. Noah began to be a man of the soil and he planted a vineyard. He drank of the wine and became drunk and lay uncovered in his house. And Ham, the father of Canaan, saw the nakedness of his father and told his two brothers outside. Then Shem and Japheth took a garment, laid it on both their shoulders, and walked backwards and covered the nakedness of their father. Their faces were turned backwards, and they did not see their father's nakedness. When Noah woke from the wine and knew that his younger son had done to him, he said, "'Cursed be Canaan, a servant of servants, shall he be to his brothers.'" He also said, blessed be the Lord, the God of Shem, and let Canaan be his servant. May God enlarge Japheth and let him dwell in the tents of Shem and let Canaan be his servant. After the flood, Noah lived 350 years. Twenty nine, uh, Verse 29, all the days of Noah were 950 years, and he died. So it's quite the ending to this epic story. So the question is, after... Uh, Noah gets off the ark. What happens next? Well, the story, as we just saw in our text, takes quite the turn. This is what the text says Noah began to be a man of the soil and he planted a vineyard. So he was out, he was planting a vineyard, he got busy about the work that God told him to do. And 28 and 20 says that he became basically a winemaker. And then verse 21. And he drank the wine and out of the wine, uh, he drank the wine and became drunk and lay uncovered in his tent. And so I mean, boom, right off the bat, off the ark, the scriptures gets us to this point right here. Uh, and, And so this is one of those things that I, this verse is, I think it makes church people just a little bit nervous. I mean, it says, Noah drank the wine and he got drunk and he pitched his tent and laid naked in it. Naked is the way that you have to say that because it's the truth. He laid naked in his tent. Now, now, here's the deal. I love the Bible. I I love that um, the the scriptures don't try to paint some story of men and women who live unattainable lives. Because that's the way I thought that the Bible instructed us to live. When I was growing up, I thought the life that we have to live is just something that is very unattainable, that is something that I couldn't do, because the life that I was living certainly didn't line up with the way that I was hearing that people were were supposed to live. And so I didn't read the Bible a lot when I was a kid, and so I just listened to what people talked about. And so I shunned away from the church. I shunned away from the things of God because I'm like, I can't live this way, I can't live a life like these people are, or That like I'm here and I'm supposed to live, and so I literally walked away from the church And finally, the Spirit of God drew me back and he drew me back and honestly saved me when I was 30. I didn't become a Christian until I was 30. And And then after that, I began to actually read the Bible and see that there are some people that are really jacked up in here. And Noah being one of these things, because honestly, one of these people, because it gives me great comfort that even men of God, men who follow and trust God in their lives have a moment or even a few where they mess it up. I mean, they just mess it up. That's what we see here with Noah. I mean, I mean, Noah could have been from Kasuth or from Starkville or from the Dirty Dova or your street. I mean, he could have been from any of those places and he got a story written about him. He got a story written about really what his life actually looked like. Now, there are some commentators, as I was kind of reading through this and studying through this, there are some commentators that write about this verse, they've tried to say that Noah was ignorant of the fiery nature of the wine. He didn't really know that this was actually going to do that to him. I think that is inconceivable. I think it is really to go that he had no idea what was going on. I don't think that's true at all. Inconceivable. Uh, Noah wasn't ignorant of it at all. I mean, he was over 600 years old, so he had a few years behind him. He he knew what was going on around him. Uh, I mean, he he planted the grapes, and, and he picked the grapes, and he added, I'm sure, necessary ingredients to the grapes, and he made some wine, and he drank it, and he drank a lot of it, at least enough to get himself drunk. I mean, he might have thought he was the mayor of Orange Beach or something at that point. Uh, And then he did the naked dance, and he passed out in his tent. I mean, he knew what the wine would do. He was no helpless victim in this story by any stretch of the imagination. Uh, He passed out because his drinking had gotten out of control. I mean, it was kind of an episode of Noah Gone Wild. Uh, it's what it seemed like uh, because he had just kind of lost his mind and literally said he unclothed himself and got naked in his tent. But listen, in, in all seriousness, um, the Scripture points out that when one uncovers himself or when, especially when one drinks too much alcohol, then shame overtakes such a man. Shame overtakes a man whenever he finds himself in this same position that Noah found himself in we don't talk a lot about sin and shame today, really the shame that surrounds sin. It's not, not a lot of thing that gets talked about a lot in circles that, that that I'm a part of or or maybe even that you're a part of. That We just don't talk about the shame that comes with our sin, especially when it comes to alcohol and alcohol usage or specifically the overindulgence of alcohol. Now, at Refuge, um, we don't, condemn alcohol usage in general. We, we don't just have a universal statement that says you should never drink alcohol. We don't, we don't believe the Bible teaches that. Uh, and so we don't go past where the Bible actually goes. Uh, the, so we don't want to go further than the scriptures go. Um, however, drunkenness is clearly deemed sinful in the scripture. I, I want you to turn with me, if you will, in your Bibles to a few New Testament scriptures and we'll see some of these. Uh, The first one is, from Ephesians chapter five. So turn with me to Ephesians chapter five and we'll pick up actually in verse 15. This is what the text says In uh, as Paul was writing to the church at Ephesus. He says, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. So he's like, he's like, don't be foolish, don't be dumb, but be wise in how you walk. Verse 16, making the best use of time because the days are evil. Therefore, because all that is true, because the days are evil and we should be wise in what we do, He says, Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is, and do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. He says, Just don't be drunk with wine. Don't pull a Noah. Don't pull something that you might've pulled in the past. He's like, just don't be drunk with wine. He doesn't say don't drink it. He just says, don't be drunk with it. Then Paul says the same thing to the church in Galatia. Turn back one letter, if you will, to Galatians chapter five. We'll pick up in verse 19. This is what Paul says to the church at Galatia. He says this, now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity. So he's going to give a whole list of what it looks like to be indulge ourselves in the works of the flesh. Flesh, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy. Fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, all those sounds terrible, right? And then he goes on and says this thing envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like this, I warn you, uh, I, and I warn you before that these those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. And so he puts drunkenness into that whole list of things that we talked about. And then he follows that up and he, and he contrasts that and says, but the fruit of the Spirit is, and he goes on and lists out the fruit of the Spirit. And so Paul gives a warning about drunkenness uh, to the church at Galatia as well. Then one more place, if you'll turn back uh, to Romans, uh, this was uh, something that we covered in our Romans study, but Romans chapter 13, uh, verse 13 says this very thing. He says, let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarrelsome and jealousy. And then he turns the corner and says, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh. So Paul talks about this very thing in the New Testament in multiple letters that he he sends out. And so why is that such a big deal? Why is... Uh, what we see Noah indulging himself in in the Old Testament in our text today and what Paul warns about in the New Testament. Why is that true? Uh, Because really drunkenness many times leads us to a place of shame. Drunkenness leads to where we live in shame. Um, uh, Shame from the things we do, like going streaking like Noah or uncovering ourselves when we should be covered or uh, more seriously, the things that we might say to one another. Many times, whenever someone has too much alcohol, they get a lot of liquid courage, or like I like to call it, liquid stupidity. That, That happens to us many times. Or even more insidious, the things we do to one another. Whether that's sexual violence or physical violence, that comes from drinking too much or overindulging too much with alcohol. And so if you're struggling with alcohol and specifically drunkenness, uh, please let us know. We're not a people who are here to shame you. We're not here to try to uh, uh, bring and heap more shame. I, I know that if you find yourself in that place, you probably live in some places of shame already. And so we're not here to heap more shame on you we're not here to belittle you. We're actually a, a people who care about you and want to love with you and, and, and are put love, loving people around you. Uh, if you're part of this refuge family, uh, then reach out to your gospel community leader or one of our deacons or one of our elders and just say, hey, I need some help. Or, or maybe you're watching online today and, and you're, you're not even part of this church family, but you're dealing with this very thing. Then you go, man, I need some help, but I don't know where to turn. Then I, I'm just going to encourage you to reach out and say something right here at this um, at, at this site. You can send a note to hello at refugememphis.org and, and say, hey, I heard Pastor Scott talking about that you guys would help, or I, I'm, I'm struggling with alcohol abuse, or I'm struggling with overindulgence in alcohol. Will you help us? I can promise you that we'll respond to you, and we'll help you, and we'll do anything we can to try to get you out of the grips of Uh, This alcohol abuse today. Uh, Like we've already sung today, listen, Jesus is better. Jesus is better. So let's get back to our text. This is what it said that, that he drank the wine and became drunk and lay uncovered in his tent. So What we see is sin is alive and well in the new world. One commentator wrote this about it, said the flood did not purge the earth of wickedness and we cannot suppose that such was its purpose. We can't suppose that the purpose of the flood was just to get rid of all sin. I mean, if God wanted to eradicate sin from the world, then he would have had to destroy the entire human race. I mean, Noah and his family would have had to have been destroyed at the same time if he just wanted to wipe out all sin from the earth. But what we know is God had already made a promise. He made a promise back from Genesis 3. Remember Genesis 3? That's when Satan was introduced into the story, and that he came into the garden, and he talked with Eve, and he deceived Eve, and he brought some fruit, and he said, hey, did God actually say this? He began to question what God had said, and and he began to put some doubt into Eve's mind, and Eve was thought, well, I mean, the fruit does look nice, and it does look really good to eat, and it seems like it would be good for the body, and so she took some of the fruit, and she ate it, and the scripture says she gave to her husband, and he ate, and then their eyes were opened. They realized that they were naked. Seems like naked goes around a lot of sin. Uh, and, 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 and then after that, the scripture says that God came, and he was like, hey, where are you guys? Where are you? And they were hiding, and they were hiding from God, and, and so a lot of shame came around that. And the scripture goes on to tell us that even after that, that God promised that he would crush the head of Satan, that, that the plan was to crush the head of Satan, of Satan. You might bruise the heel of the one that was to come, but he would crush your head. So God could not in his plan destroy everybody because there was already a promise from Genesis chapter 3. But listen, what this text is a stark reminder of is that sin and its effects are really astounding. I and mean, the effects of sin Are really true. I mean, Noah was a righteous man on the earth. Scripture tells us that it was uh, it it was God given righteousness. It was he didn't have a righteousness of his own. And how how do we know that it wasn't his own? Well, because the righteousness only comes because we get God given righteousness. Uh, It is imputed righteousness that comes to us by faith. I I mean, we don't have a righteousness of our own. And and so, if you're there and you're thinking that, uh, hey, I'm going to get to heaven one day. Listen, if you're we listening to me right now, and you think, I'm gonna get to heaven because one day I'll have enough righteousness of my own or I will actually do enough good things or I will, I'll do enough good things that'll outweigh my bad things. That is not what the Bible teaches. It teaches us that you have, a, have to have a foreign righteousness, a righteousness that is given to us by God, a righteousness that comes from him because he is perfect and he requires perfection and he is the only one who can impute righteousness to us. You have to have that kind of righteousness that comes from trusting in Jesus, from trusting in the finished work of Jesus, from him coming and living a sinless life, from dying a death on the cross that we all deserve to die, for him being, for his shedding his blood to cover our sin debt, for him being buried and raised from the dead three days later, and he is ever ascended at the right hand of the Father, ever interceding on our behalf. And when we put our trust and our faith in his righteousness and his righteousness alone, not our own, his atoning death on the cross, his victorious resurrection over death, when we put our faith in those things and not our own uh, righteousness, then the scripture says that we will be saved, that we will have this righteousness that comes from faith in in Jesus. That's where we get our righteousness. Now, Back to our text. Our text tells us that Noah had stood out in the world in which he lived, but in that moment, sin had conquered him. Sin had overtaken Noah. I mean, mean, you know what I'm talking about? Have you ever been at a place where sin overtook you? I don't want you to think about anybody else. I know husbands, you're probably thinking about your wife where, where sin has overtaken her at some point and wives, you're probably thinking about your husband and where sin has overtaken him for sure, but I don't want you to think about anybody else. I'm just thinking about you where sin has overtaken you at some point. Uh, and, and so we need to see that, that Noah in his drunk and unconscious state, uh, we need to see that really as a significant warning to you and me today. Uh, Noah couldn't make it on his own. Uh, He was terribly flawed, and all the flawed people said, Amen. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. All the flawed people, you need to amen that because you're a flawed person. I promise. So am I. We're all flawed people. And so Noah couldn't make it on his own. You and I can't make it on our own. He needed something outside himself to rescue him. And we need God's grace just like Noah needed God's grace. Then we need God's grace today. And so this part of Noah's story that coming off the ark and all the grandiose victory that he did has really been given to us to make you and me wise today, to help us in some wisdom. wisdom. And so how does that happen, preacher? Well, what I think it is telling us is that people in our prime, if you think you're in the prime of your life or people in your later days in your life, wherever you may be in your stage of life, sometimes we get overtaken by sensualities that maybe previously we might avoid. I mean, there might be some places that you've avoided things in the past and now suddenly you find yourself in the middle of indulging yourself in. I mean, how many of us have avoided sin at one time only to give in to it now? Maybe it's alcohol, like Noah. Maybe you've avoided alcohol your entire life, but now you're kind of overindulging in it. Or maybe it's something visual where you go, I haven't looked at another, if you're a man, I haven't looked at another woman before, and suddenly you're beginning to look at other women than your wife. Or maybe it's the opposite, and maybe women, you're looking at men and thinking about other men other than your husband. You've never done that before, and, but suddenly you're indulging yourself in that. Or, or maybe it's something mental, just something you're thinking about or images that you're thinking about in your head or maybe it's physical, someplace that you've really indulged yourself or you've gone outside of yourself and you're indulging yourself in places you never thought you'd find yourself. And suddenly you find yourself. Why is this the case that suddenly this happens to people like me and like you? Well, here's what I think. The tendency is to ease up when conflicts lessen. I mean, think back to Noah's story. When he was facing the scorn and and the ridicule of the violent world around him, what was Noah? I mean, he was steadfast. I mean, we we read about that in the last couple weeks. He was steadfast in the mission that, that God had for him. He didn't look to the left. He didn't look to the right. He was like, for 100 years, I'm gonna build this ark. I'm gonna be involved in this mission that God has called me on. I mean, he had his hand to the plow. Nothing could detract him or distract him from the thing that God had called him to. But then, after he survives the flood and they come to, and, and they get out and they say, hey, let's get busy about filling the world. Here's where we see Noah. He's in the vineyard. He's got time with his family. There's no opposition to his mission. He was kind of smooth sailing out there, picking grapes. He relaxed. But don't we all do this? I mean, don't we all have a tendency to just kind of let our guard down sometimes? I mean, in, in times of great difficulty, uh, like a worldwide epidemic, or a difficult financial season season, I mean, we run to God and we declare our need for Him, and we find ourselves on our knees we God, God, please help us. We're in the middle of great difficulty. I need you now more than ever. I need you to help me. I need you to, to come along by my side. I can't do this on my own. I, I mean, I've seen this in my own life. you've probably seen it in your life. I've seen it in the life of our church family. But when there's, when we find ourselves in times of good, when there's plenty to eat and there's plenty of money and our marriages are flourishing and our health is good, suddenly we become a little less concerned about our spiritual lives. We forego those spiritual disciplines. We quit reading our Bible and we don't pray as much and we don't spend as much solitude time with God and, and, and we kind of forsake gathering together we go, I, I don't need to go to church. I'll catch that some other time. Or we, we don't give to the work of the Lord. We're like, you know what? I'm gonna spend my money somewhere else. Look, you have, we have a thing here called the five Gs. Uh, it, it's the way that it looks like, it's what it looks like to become family at Refuge. We, we didn't create that just to be cute. We didn't create that to go, hey, this is just some cute slogan that will help people remember what we want you to do. This is because we want you to be engaged in the work of God. We want you to regularly think about what do I need to do? I need to gather with people, I need to get involved, I need to give, I need to be in a gospel community. Those because we that we, we encourage you in those places because it's easy to drift. It's easy to fight the drift when things are going really good, like it was for Noah. It's easy to just drift off and not think about the things of God. We want to continually encourage you to be on mission and on, uh, in the work of what God is doing. And many times, we forego those spiritual disciplines when things are going really well. In times of plenty, we get distracted from our provider. And many times, our, even our language moves from Talking about and talking to and praising God to even the audacity of taking his name in vain, that happens a lot of times in times of plenty so noah's post flood story really stands as a, a warning to the to the dangers that are always lurking around us, especially those and our latter years of following Jesus, and those that live in this good religious southern culture that we find ourselves living in here in in the Mid-South, where Christianity has become where there's such a low bar to Christianity today. The warning is to stay vigilant, to be steadfast in following Jesus Who loves us. He is the lover of our souls. But even more than that, it's a call and a reminder that we are flawed men and women. We are are sinners in need of constant grace. Uh, See, sin came with Noah into the new world and and, and sin remained intact. And and it was a, a painful new world reality then. And honestly, it's still a painful new world reality that we live in today that sin was alive and well. And honestly, we see that, that sin was, was alive in Noah, but honestly, it was alive in his offspring as well. Look, look what the scripture says in verse 22. And Ham, the father of Canaan, saw the nakedness of his father and told his two brothers outside. And, and so what the text tells us is that one of his sons uh, saw his father laying naked in his tent, and he chose to ham it up with his brothers. He had the opportunity to uh, to cover his dad's sin, but instead he chose to expose it to his brothers. Now, can you see this scene? Uh, Noah is like laid down, passed out, drunk on the on the on the floor. So it's like he's just out. Now I chose not to be naked. Uh, for this part of it. We were gonna kind of blur me out, but it shows that that was probably not a good idea, that they might kick us off of social media if we did something like that. But he was passed out drunk, and, and Ham uh, saw his dad, and then he ran to tell his brother. He was like, uh, dad is passed out. I mean, he's drunker than a seasick giraffe on the ark. I mean, he is like out. Um, and, and, and so what had Ham done? he had sinned against his father. He would be breaking what would come to be known as the fifth commandment to honor your father and mother. Ham, in effect, uncovered his father's nakedness by running and telling others. He ran and told that. How many times do we do the same? How many times do we see someone caught in sin and we have the opportunity to cover and protect them, I mean, we know someone is in the middle of something sinful, and and rather than covering them or rather than protecting them, and I'm not talking about something insidious that needs to be uncovered and told. I'm just talking about some personal sin in their life that that we could just cover and just keep to ourselves. and we could really even help them in that situation. How many times instead of covering that sin do we expose their sin to everybody else? How many times do we run to others just like Ham did and talk about it with other people? How many times do we harm instead of help? Shame on Ham in Noah's day and honestly, shame on you and me if we do it today. Now, I'll just say this. If you've been contributing to that, if you've been contributing to the breaking down and the tearing down and the gossiping about uh, and giving idle talk, then you should repent to God today. And honestly, you should repent to the person that you've harmed today. I'm not even kidding. You should take today and call that person or go and see that person. First you get on your knees and ask God to forgive you. And then you should go to that person today and say, I've sinned against you and I've sinned against you in this way. Will you forgive me? Let's keep going. Look at verse 23. Then Shem and Japheth took a garment, laid it on both their shoulders and walked backwards and covered the nakedness of their father. Their faces were turned backwards and they did not see their father's nakedness. So in an act that's Completely opposite of of that of Ham, Shem and Japheth moved to cover their father's nakedness with a garment. And and so uh, the scripture takes great care to say that these brothers did not see their father's nakedness. I mean, in reality, who wants to see a 600-year-old man naked, right? Right? They took great care to, to back themselves into the room. Uh, uh, but honestly, they did it not because of that. They did it out of respect for their father. They're like, I, I want to respect my dad and no matter what situation that he might find himself. So they put the, the scripture says they put the garment on their backs and they walked in backwards to the room and they laid the garment on their father without looking him. And, and the New Testament reminds us that this is love. That this is what love looks at. Paul says the same kind of love shown to Noah, uh, or Peter says that, uh, that the same uh, kind of love that's shown by Noah by his sons is the way that we should do that. Uh, The scripture says this in 1 Peter 4.8, love covers a multitude of sins. And so it did in Genesis, in this story, it did in Peter's day, in, in, as Peter was writing this letter, and it does for us today, love covers a multitude of sins. And, and so these brothers did, mimicked what God did for Adam and Eve in the garden when God covered them with the animal's garments. They kind of mimicked what God was doing and they covered their dad's sin, uh, even uh, no matter if he knew about it or if he didn't, they chose to cover his sin. So Noah's son's covered his nakedness. Uh, and so we see a real uh, a contrast between Noah's sons here. On one part, you've got uh, the sons of Noah, Shem and Japheth. And on the other side, you've got Ham. And, and really, they represent two different groups of mankind. So, so we, you and I, fall into these two separate groups. Uh, the, the, those like Adam and Eve and Noah, who with God's help, they have their sins covered. So that, that's one group of people. And then you've got those like him who make no attempt to cover their nakedness and even worse, expose it. And so this is a picture of the gospel and how it's supposed to work. Those who are blessed because their sins have been covered and those who are cursed because their sins lay uncovered. That's two separate kinds of people and you and I fall into one of those two categories. King David talked about this in one of the Psalms, in Psalm 32, one, he said, blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Where are you? Which camp are you in? Are are, are you covered or are you uncovered? Are you forgiven or are you unforgiven? Are you part of the family of God? Are you part of the household of faith or are you not? And then the story closes. When Noah woke from his wine and knew that his younger son had done to him, he said, cursed is Canaan. A servant of servants shall be his brother. He also said, blessed is the Lord, the God of Shem, and let Canaan be his servant. May God enlarge Japheth and let him dwell in the tents of Shem and let Canaan be his servant. It's interesting that when Noah woke up, he knew what had gone on. He knew what had transpired around him. And and it's interesting, too, to me that that God didn't put a curse on Ham, but he put it on Ham's son, Canaan. That was an interesting twist in the text. And and we know that from the curse, uh, it sent Canaan's descendants to be at odds with the line of Shem and Japheth. Uh, Throughout the Old Testament, you're going to see those kinds of things play out, that, that they would be at odds and they would be at war with uh, uh, Canaan would be Israel's nemesis throughout the Old Testament, and and Noah also pronounced a blessing on Shem and Japheth. And and, and throughout the Old Testament, we can see that that they they were uh, they they thrived and their lineage thrived, and they had land and and different things that came to them throughout their uh, history. Uh, but the true blessing came as the Gentiles got grafted in. It's uh, that the Gentiles were really ended up being in the line of Shem and Japheth. That they were the seed of Abraham, the scripture says that no matter where they were, that they became the seed of Abraham, heirs according to the promise, as Paul would write, because their heirs would end up following Jesus. And so the question becomes, what do we do with this? What do we do with all of this story and how do we apply this to ourselves today? One, we we've learned that the gospel is not new. This is not something new. We we've seen the gospel play out literally from the beginning of this story in Genesis, and it still continues to play out. Uh, it was declared to Adam and Eve in the garden whenever they sinned. Uh, it was de- it was demonstrated to Noah whenever he and his family were delivered from the flood. And yet, when, even when Noah stepped out into this new world, he brought sin with him, and he was still a sinful. Man. and sin was still on the earth, and it left him drunk and passed out naked, and and Ham sinned against his father by exposing his nakedness, and and, and Noah saw this same kind of sin dwelling in in, uh, Ham's son Canaan, and, and thus began the fracturing still of more relationships even in this new world, and this we know, sin fractures relationships. But the good news of the gospel is that the gospel knows no boundaries. Now, even where fractures occur, the gospel doesn't respect those boundaries. It heals even the greatest fractures of relationships uh, in relationships. It goes to the offspring of Ham and Shem and Japheth and it goes with saving power then and it comes with saving power now. Colossians reminds us of this, that there is neither Greek nor Jew nor circumcised nor uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave nor free, but Christ in all and in all. The scripture says that Christ is for all of us that the gospel is for all of us. And, and Paul writes to confirm this very truth that to be saved, to be part of the family of God, is to be, uh, to be firm uh, in the lineage of Jesus, is to know that you are forgiven. And because of that, we can forgive others around us. The gospel is not new. This forgiveness that's found in the gospel extended way back to Adam and Eve. It covered Noah. It eventually covered the sin of Ham and it will cover your sin today. So whether your sin is drunkenness or lewd behavior, the gospel will cover that. Or whether your sin is shame and guilt that you may heap onto others, the gospel will cover that. Or whether your sin is unbelief and disregard for the things of God, the gospel will cover that. Or even whether your sin is the ongoing fracture of relationships in your life, the gospel will cover that. The good news of the gospel says that Jesus is our forgiver. That Jesus is our healer. That Jesus is our redeemer. That Jesus is our covering. That Jesus is our way maker. And Jesus is for you today. Be healed. Let the fracture be mended today. Let me pray for us.